Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to episode 61 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the next town, Josh Hopkins. Super sexy Josh Hopkins. What up, Josh? What's happening, Rex? How's, uh, how's Brooklyn? Brooklyn's great. How's Austin? It's, it's fantastic. Yeah? It's fantastic. Yeah, it's all, I know all you, good. I know you were in Lexington recently to see your mom and to see my mom and dad. How were they? They were good. Yeah? Got to see all, got to see all three of them. Uh, man, your mom and you, you know, you hear it looks so much alike, but you talk, you laugh alike. Your expressions are the same. It was... It was fun to watch. No, you're saying she's gets, hot. Gets me up. I'm not saying that. No, whatever. It's fine. No, uh, it was fun. It was good to see them. And it's nice where she's been visiting my mom a lot and going and talking to her. My mom can't leave the house much. So love she's it. she's been so kind to her. Love it, love it, love it. Um, well, uh, you know, something we like to do on this show from time to time is, uh, as you know, we're both as the people know, we're voracious readers. Uh, we like to have book club. Yep. Um, did you read anything this week for book club? I did not. You? No. Oh, that's been book club. You know, this is uh, episode 61. Yeah. What, do we got any 61ers? 61. I, I had to that's go a tough number. Google machine. I had to yeah. go to Google because there's going to be no 61 basketball players. We got right. uh, baseball, Chanho Park. Okay. And football, Nate Newton. Okay, that's sixty-one. Sixty-one's tough. Not a great. I guess number. in I guess in sports though, if you're going to say sixty-one, it's Roger Maris sixty-one Roger home runs. So that's not his number, but but also that's, is that a, that's a, a famous sixty-one. Is that a thing anymore now that now that Judd broke it? Uh, oh yeah, no more. Yeah, sixty-two is a cool number. I guess for <laughs> <laughs> uh, next episode we'll have it. I want to really drag out this open as long as I can because we're so um, damn entertaining. But we have a terrific guest that I'm really excited to get to today, Josh. Uh, you want to get right to him? Today, I am pleased to welcome co-captain of the Big Three's three-headed monsters, nine-year NBA vet, NBA all-rookie second team, two-time all-American and SEC Player of the Year is number 35, has been retired by LSU. He's an author of In the Blink of an Eye. Welcome, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf. Welcome, bro. Hey, man, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We were getting ready to do this. I wanted to save it all for when we got on here. But every time I see you, I, I, I think back, and Josh and I were talking earlier, I... I was at Kentucky and I left school would have been your freshman year, right? At LSU. And so we missed, you played two years of college. And then I never even, I watched you play and just tearing up our, you know, Kentucky Wildcats here and there. 
of course, watched you play. But the first time I saw you and met you was in Charlotte. You guys came to Charlotte. Uh, you're playing with Denver, high pick. And you were probably the youngest player in the league, I think. I had just been the youngest player prior to that. And our teams, our team sucked, you know. But y'all's team was really bad at that point. <laughs> and I remember guys were just going at you, just going at you, you know, because, you know, we're small and high draft picks and all that. And I just came up to you and gave you a hug right before the game. Just said, hang in there, man. Hang in there. <laughs> So I'm just I'm just so happy to be here. Shoot, what are we? Thirty years later, almost, and uh, uh, it's good to talk to you, man. And likewise, like, well, you know how they do in the league, man. They gonna boy, they gonna pick at you. That's right. Let's just start at the beginning. How did growing up uh, in Gulfport, Mississippi, bring to light the number of you know injustices you felt were were worth speaking to when you were in the NBA? Oh wow, man. Uh, you know Mississippi, Gulfport. Uh, is probably still considered one of the worst places, you know, in, in the country. Uh, and a lot of times when you look at the statistics, whether it's education, whether it's uh, uh, what people are making in terms of wages, uh, you name it, Mississippi is usually on the bottom. Right. And, and so just growing up, man, I mean, a lot of it really came from, uh, the, the, the the relationship between blacks and whites you know, in terms of how I would see my parents and how I would see other people almost like they would take this submissive, you know, approach, a head down, um, surrendering type of approach. But in private, they were, two, they were certainly different people. But also growing up in the in, in mostly everywhere that there was a concentration of black people, they were the ghettos. And then you go over the track, the neighborhoods look totally different. And so you begin to see these things, but at the same time, not at that age, it's just what it is. Yeah. But you don't know what's behind it. You don't, and you can't really put your finger on it and articulate it. But that's the first signs, you know, just seeing it, right? You know, though, you, you put that so, so beautifully, but, and I know I did, went through similar growing up in Kentucky, going from my neighborhood to where, you know, I played AAU ball. Yeah. So I, I saw it from a different standpoint. Many of us just kind of sleep, sleepwalk through all of that. When, how did you, how were you so, you know, curious, you know, culturally at a young age where, you know, those things stuck with you and, and became, you know, a big part of who you are? You know, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know. I, I was just one of those children. I always found myself in circles with old people, you know, men and women. And I would be that, that, that little boy that just sat there and listened a lot. But also I watched a lot of, uh, at night, I would see a lot of, uh, it's like almost every night, uh, like midnight or so, uh, these infomercials would come on. And it would show people just globally starving and things of this nature. And it almost always seemed to be black or people of color, yeah. you know, in those positions. And on top of me being in the environment that I'm in, it's just, it's hard not to, uh, when you're in those, and I, and I grew up in the church, you know, I grew up in the church and you hear things, you know, that talk about equality and, and brotherhood and all of these things, but the world seems different. 
and it just it it just weighs on you. And I, I was just one of those children that I didn't always say anything, obviously, but it wasn't because I was I wasn't think I mean I was thinking about it and I was saying these things, but it was well I'm just trying to figure this out. This doesn't seem right. Something ain't right about this picture here. You know, did did you take? It sounds like you were pretty conscientious uh, about learning. Did you take your uh, studies seriously from a young age? Uh, did you not care? Uh, you know, and how did that, you know, how did that translate, you know, from, you know, high school to college and all of that stuff? Man, great questions. Great question. Uh, real quick. No, I didn't take them serious. Okay. <laughs> At all. I didn't either. <laughs> Neither did Josh. Yeah. Welcome to your amongst friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this is why I think also, man, uh, teachers are so important. And I know there's a classroom full of, the classrooms are so huge, you know, in many cases, and, and everybody learns differently. But the quality of a good teacher in terms of making whatever it is they're trying to teach you relatable, yeah. right, interesting. And for me, no one could ever at the time... You grow up hearing you got to get a degree so you can get a good job. I don't. And, and school wasn't my thing. I think learning is everybody's thing. I think everybody wants to be informed. But how we're informed, I'm not a sit in the classroom. I'm more of a hands on. I need to ask a question when I have it. But then you can't because you'll take away from other people. And so I just didn't flourish. And, and another part of that, uh, Rex, is because I just never saw a future in academics. My mother, eighth grade education, mostly everybody I see in terms of my vision was so huge. And I'm like, well, everybody I see is in neighborhoods like this. They went to school. But the people that seem to have it are the actors, the entertainers. Yeah, yeah. I want what they have. You know, and so that's what my my vision was. I'm like, look, man, I'm putting all my marbles. I know you're not supposed to. I'm putting all my marbles in here, in this thing right here, this A option. I don't have no B or C. If I fail, I fail. Right. It was a it was a major risk. And if, if it wasn't for, you know, God blessing us, yeah. I don't know, man, what in the world I would have done. Before we move on out, because I know we're going to get to LSU and the NBA, but in your childhood now, I want to talk – basketball for a second how did I, I read that you were discovered on the playground at, at like lunch break or recess or something by a, by a basketball coach like you weren't even playing on like the team or so how old were you did you have family that played at all no not that I no not that I know uh, that's amazing no no that's amazing yeah so like how did you become such like a, a great Obviously, you could shoot then and stuff. You, you weren't in the gym practicing. You weren't with the team. But did you were just out playing with your brothers and you, you learned to shoot? Or were you always just, you know, hand-eye gifted? What, like, what, what's the deal? I, I made a decision because I flirted with different sports. I played a little football, ran a little track. I mean, just playing stuff. You know, you play what's in the streets. And uh, we didn't get all the channels, obviously. We didn't have cable so because we're close to the Hawks. Mm -hmm. All the teams that they played, we would see those games. I fell in love, man, with Dr. J. He was my he was my role model because I saw the fish to save Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Pisces. The Pisces, the Pisces baby. Yeah. Moses Guthrie. Yeah. So, That's right. so I'm like, man, I said, this is 
And I just felt that I started to feel like, man, basketball is something. It was harder for me to get up for football. I was good at it, but it was harder. And But basketball was something that, man, I love. I love everything about it. And I felt that this was my only way. This was my only ticket. Like, if I don't make it in this, man, I don't know what my life is going to say for itself. And so I just prayed about it. And I started, like, literally at 10 years old during that time. I just made a decision that I'm going to wake up <laughs> 4 o'clock in the morning. And I started, my mother would be, she had to be at work at five. So for years, she didn't know I was doing it. And I would wake up and it could be thunder and lightning, man. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It, I mean, talking about, you would think the, the tornado's about to fall out the sky. I mean, it's, it's, pow. I mean, the rain is coming down. It's cold. I mean, we're poor. So, I mean, I didn't have those nice, thick warm ups. I would go out with shorts and, and a t shirt. You know, I'm dribbling, but you get warm as you go. And I came back home so many times with frostbitten hands. You know, I'm talking about you're putting your hands in like a hot. I, I didn't know you put your hand in hot water. It feels like needles. <laughs> and so this is but I made the decision like, man, this is what I want to do. I want to be the best in the world at this. Oh, yeah. And at that age of 10, 9, 10 <laughs> is when I made the decision. And I started waking up in every single day and I would use my imagination. I would go and I would imagine two, three people guarding me, getting my shot off. I would look at the NBA more than anything, and I would I would take photo images of what I would see, and I would go and try to make it my own and add to it. And I would do this day in and day out, use my imagination. Imagine I'm playing, I mean, to the point where I'm getting hit, you know, going up, I mean, I mean, all of that, you know, I'm like, wow. And then throughout the course of the day, later on, people would come out, and that's when you play against them, but you've already got, I don't know how many hours of training in by yourself. So that's 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 where that's where and how it developed. Wow. At, at what point in time, though, um, at what point in time? Because I don't I'm not sure people really understand what a great athlete, what a great athlete that you are and were as a young person. I mean, that's a, that's a compliment. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, look, you for your size, you could get up, you could get to your spot and jump up over people. Um, you know, you could, you could dunk it back in the day, you know, you were explosive like that. Um, and honestly, you were kind of, well, you and Kenny Anderson were kind of before your time a little bit, you were the first, we all thought about coming down and going between our legs and stuff, but that wasn't coaches wouldn't let us do that. You know, they wouldn't let us do that. Plus, you know, shooting threes off the dribble and that's just, I, I never got where I was great at doing that. When I saw you doing it in high school or in college, uh, and I think, Josh, didn't they get beat by our, our Kentucky Wildcats at Rupp Arena? Uh, there was maybe the, his last didn't year. They, I, I don't know. No. <laughs> Game here now. <laughs> but, uh, I was there. I, just, I was there for it. I just remember seeing seeing you do this and I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I, do you remember the first time Dale Brown came to watch you play, Coach Brown? I think the first time I was in Biloxi. We were playing Biloxi in Biloxi. Um, yeah, uh, I can't remember. I mean, I just remember that game. I, it was a good game, but I ended up getting a dunk and I hardly – I started jumping off two. I stopped jumping off one so much because I fell in love with Dominique. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and then you have so much more balance coming off the two. <laughs> but that game, I going full speed and I took off. Dude was right on my my back, and you know one of those dunks when you you dunk and you keep on going. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I planted real well. Yeah, he that that was the first time he saw me. Uh, I think he came to a game to see me play. Isn't that isn't that funny? I mean, all these years later, and I think back. You know, I'm thinking about myself like the first time. Bobby Bobby Crimmins saw me or Dean Smith or whoever it is, but that you can go back and but talk about how that feels, because until that point, you know, you we're relatively unknown, hoping to be like Dominique and Dr. J and all that stuff. And when a guy comes to watch you play that, you know, that you, the big time coach and you kind of got off in front of him, that's a good feeling, right? Great feeling, but 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 really, when I was in the ninth grade, because ninth grade at that time was still junior high. Now it's the beginning of high school. Uh, I got that's when I got actually my first uh, first letter, and it was from Louisville. Oh, Whoa. That was my dream school. Right, right. I'm looking at that. Um, uh, I don't know if Dale though was my the first that uh, came to see me, but. I think that was somewhat a little later, but I was getting letters. I mean, I was getting letters in, the, in junior high, like interest. And, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a great feeling, man, but it's overwhelming yeah. too, as you it know, is. Yeah. because it becomes very difficult at some point to choose because yeah. people are promising you, well, you're going to come and play and you're going to, I'm like, man, how can you, I don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. None of us do. Not yeah. even a minute. How can you promise me something? And so I always felt funny about that. Same. You know, because other people could come in, but that's and that that's what made the difference with LSU. They they didn't tell me that. Fess was there. They said you'll be you'll be coming in. Fess is on the team. He was all American. Yeah. They look, if you have it, you have what it takes. And it wasn't arrogant. You have what it takes. And I looked at a man, and that's the type of fairness because I hate it. I always hated this unhealthy favoritism. Just because a dude is old or senior. He, no, man, whoever can get it done. And when he said that, I, I got a sense. I said, you know what? There's a sense of fairness here. That's that, you know, and and just look, one thing <laughs> led to another, man. And then yeah. Fess ended up leaving. His dad, right. Dale, told right. him, came to the office and said, uh, look, we know Chris is coming at the time. Chris Jackson is coming to town. And... We just want to make sure that if he comes, my son's still going to start. And the way he brought it to Dale, Dale, you know, Dale didn't like that. And so Dale, he said to him, well, he said, and if he, if he don't start, we just, we're going to, we're going to pack our bags and go. Dale said, well, you might as well pack your bags and go. And so now I'm all there and I don't have nobody, so to speak, to compete against. Yeah. I'm going to compete. Let's do it. And after that first game, Actually, the second game, the first game was like 13. Second game was 21. Dale stopped me at the locker room. He said, he said, listen, we need you to score more. I said, coach, I'll try. And then that next game was 48. <laughs> they start going out like, wow. Steph Curry's record-breaking three-pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk. 
NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards by making it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoe boxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like Evan Mobley and Kay Cunningham. Collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson. Or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews and get in the game today. I mean, I remember going to the games. I'm a, I'm a year younger than you. Yeah, right. And it was a sensation. It, what is this? What, how, how does he do this? We hadn't seen someone take over. It was a, it was a still very much an inside game and feed the post. And you had good post players, you, you, you know, and, and you would just pull in ways we'd be just couldn't understand it. And what I, I'm very much and, and was especially growing up like a people pleaser and uh, all very um, worried about everyone around and how they're doing feeling. And the fa- if I missed one three point shot, sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys, sorry. And and it's, to watch you go out there like you could miss four, and then just you didn't care. Pull up in fifth one, and then you hit ten in a row, and I just be like, what? What is his mind? You were always like that mentally. It sounds like it. You know, man, playing. Uh, I, I would I would say. Growing up, waking up at four in the morning, fighting the elements, pushing yourself, you know, because I also, when I train, even at that age, I, and I don't, I'm not exaggerating one bit. Mostly every day was a near-death experience because I push myself hard, but I have Tourette's syndrome. And so at the end of the work, even during the workout, but at the end of the workout, it's like, not like. Tourette's is saying, well, you're not finished yet. And I'm not, you're, <laughs> you're wow. breathing hard, you're tired. <laughs> and, and Tourette's is saying, listen, you got to make 10 shots while you're tired. Uh, none of them can hit rim. <clears throat> they got to be in a row. None of them could hit rim. The move you're making prior to making that shot could have no glitches or, or, or don't count. So I can have nine in a row. Just hop, pop. I mean, going full speed, just trying to finish it. And 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 then tenth one can skim the rim and go in. I can't retake that ten shot and say ten. I got to start at zero. That may take another hour and a half. And so I've had literally, I couldn't catch my breath on almost every day. And then finally, it'll come out. Tears coming down your face. You're like, man. Like you felt you was gonna die. Mm. And so when you do this day in and day out, it's like something in you, it's like, man, I'm not about to put myself through this type of abuse, almost killing myself and get on the basketball court and just lay down. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be do or die, life or death, make or break, <laughs> whatever. That's the way it's gonna be. And but during that time, yep. you didn't know there was no name 
for it. You didn't know there was a, you weren't diagnosed with Tourette's. You weren't diagnosed until you were like 17. What did you, did you think everyone felt that way? Did you know something? And how did, how did it present? Did, did you do any ticking or anything like that? Oh man. Yeah. I had, it started off with blackouts. <clears throat> I would, uh, I would be sitting up with a watching TV and you would think I was asleep, but I wasn't. My mother got on me numerous occasions. I was boxing this dude named Benny once. We were in the yard boxing. And I'm, you know when you get out of it what just happened. But you don't always know what happened. And I went into a blackout. They said, Benny, man, cocked back and right in my face. And I just did this. Because I knew when he did, he, when I woke up after he hit me, he was like this. Uh, I, I, I went through a blackout. And I just How old? Huh? How old? How old were you when and this I first was, started? I was probably at that age, seventh grade, somewhere around there. I don't, wow. Yeah, and so I was. I still, you know, the the ticks, the the picking up stuff, the putting on your clothes, taking them off, putting them on. Take. I mean, it take about forty five minutes just to get out of the house every day before I go was to this, the. Was this every day? Uh, all through every uh, single look, even now at 53, <laughs> when I wake, when, once my eyes open, I got to give myself a motivational tie. <sighs> New day. Are right, you going to be a smoother day? <clears throat> you're not going to, you know, you're going to control it better. It's, it's you're constantly having to motivate yourself and psych yourself up to be as calm, but it never, it, ne it, 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 it always fails. <laughs> you know, wow. some days are better than others. But, man, this was every single day. Not only before you left, on the way to the court. If I'm dribbling, I got about three blocks, four blocks. <laughs> if I'm doing a move, it don't feel right. And if I mess up about three times, if I'm headed in this direction, if I mess up about three times, I got to back up 10 steps where I came from. And I got to ta I got to do it. Then I got to do whatever with my right. I got to do it with my left. I, that may take. 40, 30 minutes to get to the court. I get to the court. Now I'm at, it's on the court. It got so bad. I had to, I had to start. I said, man, if I keep, cause I would do that 10, I would work out an hour and a half. Then Tourette's would say, you got to make these 10 shots full speed. Uh, you know, uh, if, if not, uh, you gotta, you gotta make them before you leave. I would literally do that drill. The one that almost killed me. I'm walking off the basketball court. It doesn't feel right. I mess up a few times. I got to back up and do that same thing twice. Oof. Numerous Oof. days. So I said I had to develop a strategy. So once I would finish it, I would take the ball and I would sling it towards my house. And so finally, when I get the ball, I'm so far from the court. If I'm dribbling and mess up, at least I don't have to shoot it and go through that drill again. Mm. Every day. Every day. Wow. There had to be, I would take basketball away from it. You're in class, oh. you know, you're in class and you're a young guy in class. How, how were, how were fellow classmates and whatnot about, about that stuff? I, I, I think would help. Yeah, I got it occasionally. I got it mostly when it was girls that they liked, that they thought they liked me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but because I was, I'm a people's person. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love people and I'm always trying to be respectful and all of that. Uh, I got it. And now I'm an athlete. Yeah. And so I'm pretty good. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and so a lot of times, you know, PE classes. Yeah. So you like, okay, you there's a target on you. I mean, I'm coming at you. I don't say it, but you try to humiliate right. me. Yeah. <laughs> so I got it. But, but, the, but being in class, Rex, is like uh, I couldn't. I tell people, man, having Tourette's and you trying, I was too busy trying to con- like stay still. Suffocating, what right. The teacher was saying because I'm too, <clears throat> I'm too busy. <clears throat> Instead of doing, st- mm-hmm. uh, you know, making all those noise and doing this, I'm trying to be normal. <sighs> and so you're holding that in. So while you're trying to hold it in, you can't really focus. Yeah. And so your, your education suffers as a result. And I'm just amazed that I was still able to be, not that I, I wasn't interested in trying to be no A student. I was just interested in doing enough to play. So if they say yeah. a C is what you have to have, I'm just trying to do just enough. At some point, did, uh, did either you or someone else suggest medication? And how did that go? And how does it go? I don't know. Beautiful question. My mother uh, took me to the hospital uh, doctor a couple of times, and the doctor told me, literally, this was his diagnosis. And he's still there in Gulfport. He said, you have habits. They come and they go. And he gave me these huge pills. Man, I call them horse pills or whatever. They they were like uh, orange and with gel in the inside. And I think now that I'm old, I think it was just a placebo. Really? Mm. Just wow. To make yeah. That's interesting. And and I would they would make me gag. I would throw them into the cinder blocks because part of the house wasn't finished. And I would throw them to give my mother the impression I was taking them. But they were gagging me, man, making me gag. But And then she wow. took me to the hospital. They put EKGs in my head with this white paste. And they told me to stay up for like 24 hours. But nobody was able to. Outside of that, it wasn't until Miss Lil Jenkins, the assistant, I mean, the head, the head coach's wife, who was a nurse by trade, they just kept seeing this day in and day out. And so she asked me, is it okay to ask my mother? I said, sure. And then that's when they took me to a doctor, Dr. Um, man, not Jankovich, that's in Houston. I can't remember his name, but in Mississippi. Uh, and as soon as I got into his office, like he said, do you know what you have? I said, no. He said, you have Tourette's syndrome. And that's the first time I got a name for it, you know, 17 years old. One of my best friends, Dash Myhawk, he's an actor also. He has Tourette's. And so I, I, we uh, we were roommates for several years. So I know a lot about it and seeing his tics and the things he has to do over and over again. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry to talk about it because it makes makes <laughs> it brings it. But like, yeah, I'd have to watch him. We'd be watching a movie and he'd be like, hey, hey, hop, hop look at me and he'd have to do his things. And if I looked away, he had to do it oh, again. Yeah. I, I knew to keep looking at him because <laughs> I, I would just waste more time not being able to see the movie if I didn't just look at him. Because if I looked away at all, <laughs> no, it's had going to make it worse. Yeah, yeah. Got to get that response. Yep. Yeah. Still may do it a little bit more. <laughs> oh, whew. and so like going to movies, you know, he has to sit in the back row. Because if he's above anybody, the people behind him are always like, what's wrong? What are you doing? Like, he's he's ticking and stuff. So I can't imagine how great it felt to have a name put to it instead of you're just crazy or you just just stop doing that. Quit doing it. And, you you know, so to have a how great did that feel? Man, it took a it, it took a you know, figurative, figuratively speaking, man, it took a. a 
a, or like a, it was a huge weight was lifted off of my shoulders. Now I can go around instead of saying, well, they're just habits. They come and they go. And, and yeah. if I see, I'm having to give like a, a dissertation on what it is, I can just look, man, it's Tourette's syndrome. It's hereditary. And meaning I got it from somebody. It's not my fault. Man, it took, oh, it took away. And then to know too that, because I had never seen, the first time I saw somebody I believe with Tourette's syndrome was when I was at LSU and I was doing this uh, commercial for the Tourette's syndrome association. And they showed me uh, examples of people with it. So all of this time, Mississippi traveling, you know, so you sort of think, darn, I mean, I know I'm not the only one, yeah. but, you know, you're looking at how rare, it, this must be a very, very rare thing, you know, and you question when you're younger. I was always taught not to question God, you know, but you question sometimes like, okay, what is this, what am I supposed to get out of this? <laughs> what is this supposed to do for me, you know? Yeah. And it, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's taxing though, man. And, and it's like every, from the moment you wake up until the moment you're out cold, not from the moment you lay down. Cause even when you lay down, you, you know, you, you're, you're on the pillow. It don't feel right. You're, you're doing this until it just knocks you out. See, so I, this man is constant. <laughs> That's so interesting because, you know, you, you always wonder about these things as 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 we evolve as a species. Uh, lots of times these the reason that we evolve, that these things survive, there's some reason that that they are still still there. Um, so it's so interesting. You had to to deal with this on a daily basis and you wouldn't wish it on anyone. But there's no doubt that it. Uh, helped you be great. There's no doubt that that that's one of the reasons you made it and as great as you were and are. Yeah. Uh, it, without it, I tell this is the phrase I normally use that I ended up coming up with some years ago. You know, because I'm constantly asked, "Would you not have it if you could?" I said, "Man, that's enticing." Yeah. I said, "I, I said, but I've seen." how also it's benefited me so many. And I believe that wow. God doesn't give us a burden we can't bear. Wow. And I said, man, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be, I was always taught to be respectful and stuff, but when you have something that's so open and overt, you can't afford to jank to, yeah. because they can get you quick. You know, right. so it, it uh, I don't know if I'd be the person that I became. And then to having stuff like this, it makes you a little bit more sympathetic, empathetic to people with, that's going through things. Right. Because you know what it feels like, whether it's poverty, whether it's, you know, a medical condition and uh, or living without, you know, growing up without a father, all those things. And I wouldn't be the basketball player because I wanted to leave after an hour and a half. Yeah. It would make me stay another hour and a half or three hours, depending on if I got jammed up doing that twice. And I definitely wouldn't have been that that basketball player. Uh, and I would say that Tourette's has made me. Right. I, you know, when this, well, you, I said, no, I, I'd keep it because Tourette's has pushed me where I myself would not have gone without it. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, did you did you always enjoy reading as much as you enjoyed basketball or, or did that come later on? 
that came, uh, the joy of reading came later. Now I would read, but it was mostly like, man, I read, I read a book that had Dr. J's story in it. Right. I ended up writing, had like a 20, a 20, it ended up being 24 pages and I would carry that notebook around the school with me and I'd peek at it and just look at his story, man, and use that for motivation. Wow. Being in the dentist's office, you know, the National Geographic magazine, yeah, yeah. stuff like that fascinated me. But uh, no, reading came, the love of reading came uh, like around the, uh, LSU, right after LSU. Dale Brown mm -hmm. gave me the autobiography of Malcolm. And I said, man, this man, I love the way this, he uses analogies and he, you know, his mind. And then from there, I just started, you know, definitely once I became a Muslim, I just started, just I had to read the Quran. That was the first book I ever finished in total, wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, because wow. I was, I didn't know it was, I, I thought it was obligatory during the month of Ramadan, but it wasn't. So I'm reading it during the season. I'm falling asleep. I mean, it was, it was, but when I got through, I said, wow, I finished the book. And then I started to notice I could engage in conversations a little bit better about different things. And I'm meeting people and they're having conversations. I'm taking it in and then they're introducing me to books because they made the conversation so enticing. Man, where are you getting that from? Like, I wish the teachers could have. Right. Like, man, get, get, man what, what? then they'll give it to me or they'll tell me, I'll go get us. Wow. And so a whole nother world opened up. And that's when, that's when, that's when it started. Coach Brown's amazing. Uh, you know, even he was always great to me when I was, you know, playing uh, against his teams. And then uh, when I got in trouble eight, nine years ago, uh, got out of, you know, got out of jail, got out of rehab, all of that. My dad called me and said, hey, Rex, uh, Coach Brown reached out and he wants to talk to you. Can I give him your number? I said, of course. He, he gets on the phone with me. He talked for an hour. <laughs> had me crying, uh, just talking about how, hey, this is going to pass. And every, and then he would send me motivational things daily, oh, daily, man. right? But what, what a good dude. And, and I just wonder how much of that uh, – do you still have a good relationship with Coach Brown? Yeah, yeah, man. We, we, we don't – I don't talk – you know what, I'm not, I'm not on the phone a lot. Right. You know, so even people that's close that, that know me, they say, man, you, they say, look, man, you just got to know my move, my move. But they know if they call me, it's like we never skipped a beat. Right. right. <laughs> you know, so Dale, uh, Coach Brown and I like that. Uh, he calls me more and sends stuff. I mean, I got people that's like, I know I'm going to I know I'm have to call about 40 times, but they know me. So, yeah, but, but no, real, look, man, he's been, look, if he, if he wouldn't have given me that book, and not just the book, but Dale had a way throughout, throughout the course of the year, like you said, he still sends – He's old school. He still sends envelopes through the mail. Yeah, yeah. As well as as well as uh, uh, emails. But man, he would always give us nuggets. You know, you'd be on the plane. He say hey, he'd be reading sometimes two books, three books. He say, hey, check this out. Tell me what you think about that quote. Tell me what you think about. And you'd be reading. <laughs> he was always <laughs> passing you stuff. Yeah. So that that stuff it carries over. You know, you don't you don't know oh, how yeah. important that is, but that was a part of that process. Well, you know, that, that's because you were ahead of your time. I'm sure you've written, I've read it a lot. Like you were Steph Curry before Steph Curry. Oh. You had that range of pull up and, and that. And then you got into the NBA and your perspective changed mm -hmm. uh, in your mind after you started really reading. Mm -hmm. And then you were Kaepernick. 
before Kaepernick, which I know you've heard a thousand times. Tell me about that time when you when you decided you weren't going to stand for for the anthem. You know, it was it was roughly four to six months the previous season. And it came as a result of just like you said, reading, just being informed. And every city, almost every city I went to, especially after I became a Muslim, people like they just come to the to the hotel. And I'm such like I said, I'm a people's person. I'm inviting. If you made me feel like if I felt comfortable with you uh, after the game, you come into they come up to the room. I order room service, and so it became a tradition. It's like I was having class every time on the road. Wow. You know, when I went on the road, and it would be different people with different disciplines. Some be great in history, some uh, political science, some religion, some. And so we just sit up talking all night and I'm just consuming. They telling me, so, oh, whoa, whoa. And with all the books that they're introducing, the Noam Chomsky's, the Gore Vidal's, the Randall Robbins, I mean, I'm just I'm like, wow. And now I'm thinking about how I grew up. I'm thinking about, hold on, it seems like this is systemic. Something behind this, this ain't just happenstance, you know, no. So, of course, because I was always taught, man, to pray for others more than you pray for yourself. You know, there's a saying that if you, you know, the goal in life is to find your gift, the purpose is to give it away. Or if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. You know, I was always taught that regardless of color. But I said, man, it seems like we're living in a society, though, that, that, that highlights and, you know, this, this, this black and white and want to just, just keep, you know what I mean? It's like a system behind this hatred. And so I, I hate, I hate it. I hate injustice, man, because I know what it feels like. I know what those, I, I know what that feels. I know what it feels like some, sometimes to feel invisible, right? To feel less than. And so I'm reading all of this stuff, man. I'm just like, man, I don't. And then I was that child that we're taught just to play the game. Don't say anything because you can lose your job. You can this. And I'm like, man, I don't. And the people that I'm reading, I'm like, oh, they're doing it. And these are the people we tend to admire when they're dead and gone, right? And I'm like, man, I want, I want, I want some of what they have. They seem like they walk with a freedom that I've never felt. Like say what they want to say, whatever the consequence, they have such confidence. They feel so free that look, man, we all gonna die. None of us gonna make it out of here alive. What do you want your life to say for itself? You know, do you want to live re regretting or do you want to live standing for something? So I'm processing this stuff day in and day out. Nobody knows it. I'm still going to the gym. I'm playing. But I'm like, man, it's bothering me. And I just at that point, I said, you know what? I just, and I'm looking at the symbol and I'm like, there's a lot that they're not telling. There's a lot that's happening. And so that's when I began to wreck. And, and, and for different groups of people, we look at it differently it, based upon your experience. You know, if you don't have the type of experience I have, you're going to see it differently, oftentimes. And so many black people, let's say, would look at that, say, oh, no, no. Or other people, people of color, Native Americans, <laughs> right, might look at it differently. And so I started associating those symbols and then with my religion in terms of nas unhealthy nationalism, toxic nationalism, right? Um, I said, yeah, I can't. I, no, I can't do it. And that's what brought that on. And I've, I've been that way. I noticed too that I've been that way since I've been a child. I've always detested bullies. 
I've detested when people were mistreated. I don't care who you are. And I said, man, I, I got to go out swinging. I said, you know, I want to live and die with a free conscience and a free soul, whether people like it or not. I know it's not going to be easy. I have to get used to saying no. I have to get used to because I was that 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 child just would just sit back, didn't want to say anything. I said, I got to I got to break free from that. You know, I got to break free. And that's that's how it happened. It takes a lot of courage as a young person. But Josh and I had had the privilege of, you know, growing up in a state uh, where we we were able to watch Cassius Clay. Um, and but what we realized, too, we're I'm 55 now. Josh is 50. What are you? 51, two, 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 two. two. And and but we also grew up in a state where a lot of those people didn't like him. Yeah. And and I, if I heard it once, I heard it 30 times as a kid. I liked Cassius Clay. I don't like Muhammad Ali so much. <laughs> and and, you know, it took it took, you know, wrapping our heads around that to really understand what was being said. And it didn't dawn on me until probably I was a late teenager that, no, <laughs> they just didn't like that. He was telling them things. Yeah. He was saying things out loud that people didn't say or yeah. weren't supposed to say. This podcast is brought to you by Branded Bills, the best place online for premium headwear and apparel. Branded Bills has hundreds of designs available, including our popular state collection, where you can show your pride with hats, shirts, hoodies, and more for all 50 states. Are you a company looking to brand your business? Branded Bills also offers custom apparel options that can meet your brand standards with fast turnaround and shipping. To shop or learn more, visit brandedbills.com today. Often when my life is mentioned, of course, basketball is a part of that. And like when we just talked about all the struggles of getting there, not just wrestling with poverty and, and being in a, in a single parent. And so many people share that, right? Share, share some of those things. Um, but also just the struggles with Tourette syndrome, right? And, and we're living in a time now, it seems like never before in history, even with the youth, there's so many people where there's mental illness of some type, the, 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 the suicide rates are so high. You know, people are people are suffering. So sometimes, if you can, stories are powerful. It's like a multi-billion-dollar industry, right? And so, when you if you can tell a story, you don't know who's out there that's dealing with things, that's going through something similar. And I know it's cliche, but you know, the I definitely want to deal with those things. But but also just the evolution, you know, in, in terms of you know being. I really feel that in so many ways we're miseducated and misinformed. The system does that. You know, we're taught to memorize and in so many ways, not necessarily learn, mm -hmm. right? And and just the damage that that does. Like I, some of the stuff, you can't put everything in a book because time constraints, but like when I found out two and a half hours up the street in Natchez, Mississippi, about this guy named Abdul Rahman, you know, who was enslaved, he ended up marrying a Christian woman years later when he was set free, years and years later, and went back to Timbuktu. Well, the guy who enslaved him was friends with his father and didn't even know he had his son. And the father was a king in Timbuktu. But it made me look at Timbuktu at that time. And I'm like, and they had like universities before the West even conceived of university. And then the number one commodity was books. They valued knowledge that, and then I'm looking and they had paved roads. And, 
but I, we're taught African. And so I'm like, man, if I would have had access to some of this information, I would have thought more highly of myself. I would have thought I could be more than a basketball player. You know, so the damage that that does, yeah. because even in the, I, we didn't talk, even when I was at LSU, Rex, a lot of people don't know. When I'm break, I was breaking wreck. They put me in a remedial reading class at LSU. I could mm-hmm. read well. I could spell, but my comprehension skills were terrible. I, I wasn't taught to think, to be critical. Right. And, and I remember they gave me, I was so humiliated. They put me, right before they even assigned me classes, they took me into this room and they had me reading. I'm reading. They said, what does the word mean? I read it so smooth, like, you know, you would have thought if you wouldn't have questioned me, oh man, he know exactly. I said, I don't know. They asked me another, well, what does this word mean? I don't know. And the more they kept asking me, man, I'm like, I start feeling humiliated. Man. Yeah. Man. And then they said, well, what is the story telling you? I don't know. I was just reading, yeah. sounding good. And then that, they put me in that class. But I was, I remember the Florida game, I had 53. Coach Cars comes in there, shake me. I go out to do my interview. I'm scared. Yeah. I'm like, you you would think I should be at my highest moment. Your self-confidence. Like I'm like, man, I'm I'm embracing, like, I'm about to make it. But instead, my mind goes to this is happening too fast, too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Something bad is gonna happen. And the older I got, I started saying, wow, this is where it's coming from. The things you consume. You know, in terms of whether it's television, whether it's whether it's literature, the stories you consume affects you. And I said, what were you watching? What were you? And I used to watch Sanford and Son and Good Time religiously. Yeah. But every time I'm rooting for them to make it out the ghetto. But every time it seemed like they were about to make it, something would happen to kick them right back in. So that that was me. It's like, oh, so my mind was telling me, yeah, this is you doing this now. But. Most of y'all, right? The statistics, most of y'all never make it. You're going to most likely end up just like uh, JJ on Good Times or just like Sanford and mm-hmm. right back in the ghetto. And I never could truly embrace it. So those type of things, uh, along along with others, you know, the Tourette's, the, the struggles with all of that, the, the evolution, the mis- being misinformed, navigating through all of that. The, of course, what led to the anthem, you know, mm-hmm. my feelings, just those type of things I, I'm, I'm trying to trying to bring out with the help, I, I, obviously, of Nick Childs. It was uh, such a serious topic, so I couldn't do it. But when you said uh, when you said I was watching, you know, Sanford and Son and Good Times and they almost get out. I was like, just like Gilligan on the eye. Never got up the island. So close. Uh, <laughs> uh, did uh, uh, did your after the NBA, which was undoubtedly cut short because of your stance in, in that way, but then you went on to play in so many countries, uh, Russia. In Saudi Arabia, Italy, Japan, did did that uh, change your perspective on the United States at all, or just your worldview at all? It stayed steady, and it, and 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 it hasn't changed in terms of I still feel the same way. I, and and even when I made the statement, uh, I'm I'm not saying 
you know, and the media can be very crafty. Uh, I said, am I saying everything in America is bad? No, there's good that exists. I said, but wherever the bad is, as a Muslim, even if it's in Saudi Arabia, I said, we don't stand for it. And so I've always held that position. I don't discriminate. You know what I mean? I mean, they, look, Saudi Arabia is a dictatorship. Very oppressive, imperialistic. You know, and I feel the same about America. You know, so I'm not one of those, oh, just because you're black or just because you must No, if you do wrong, if, I, if, if it's something that I don't agree with, I don't agree with it. I don't care. I'm to the point now, man, um, and I know there are issues everywhere in the world, but I've, I've grown so attracted when I travel overseas and I see how they, not every, but a lot of countries, how they live, there's always trade-offs. But like here, it's like almost every turn of you, every corner you turn, it seems like they're taking something. And I look at some of these countries, I'm like, some of them don't have property taxes, right? Even something like that, like you have people that they've been working all of their life and they come up on bad times and they can't pay three years of their taxes and their house is taken. That shouldn't, that shouldn't exist. Yeah. And then I look at healthcare, right? Over 40 million or more people can't afford healthcare, don't even have it. Right. And then some people that do, they got to make tough choices. Like I might not be able to pay my mortgage, but we're supposed to be so exceptional with all this wealth. And you got some third world countries. You got places that provide that even education. Right. Taken care of. You know, I'm looking at all this. I'm like, man, literally, I've been contemplating and I'm like on the I mean, I'm no longer married. So then it was like a little hiccup because, you know, you want your family to be on board. But I'm at the point I'm trying to move yesterday to go and, and live somewhere where you're going to always have issues. But I'll have I'll take my you know, I'd rather be in a place, man. I found when I travel overseas a lot, there's not this sense of keeping up with the Joneses. People seem to be pretty con not, not that they're not striving, but if they're in a place, they're content. They're grateful. Right. And, and it's just so much about the air in a lot of these countries that 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 I that I enjoy compared to here, uh, even foods. Right. There's so many things that aren't allowed in the foods there that they're constantly putting here that's killing folks. We could do a whole other hour on clean water in Jackson, Mississippi. And, you know, Not that. Just Jackson. Not that. Just Jackson. Yeah, they say they say they're like 2000 water systems on the level or worse than Flint and Jackson that they're not even talking about. Walking around countries, you know, traveling and being like, coming out, there's no one out here. It's the middle of the day. Oh, they're all taking a siesta. They're all asleep. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's the life they, they've built with that culture. I'm like, everyone's asleep? Holy they, shit. They get long lunch hours. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Hours for their family. Like spend time, they're not rushing 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Stuff, you know, I got to be back at work. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, oh, man, I, I'd be, you have so many, and that's another thing people, don't, and I know we can go off, but <laughs> this is this like exceptionalist view that, that's been exposed by so many now. It's like, oh, man, you got whites. You got a lot of people. They're not telling you, say, oh, people want to come to this country, but they don't tell you the amount of people, even Americans, yeah. that, wanna, that are leaving at the same time. Yeah. And sometimes that number is greater. Mm. Mm. You know, so this is the story, but so many people are, you know, disenchanted, disenthused or whatever about being here, whites and blacks. Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly on television. 
on YouTube and I'm looking at expats overseas. Right. About, <laughs> right. I had to leave. I'm like, wow. And yeah. once you experience it, it's like, man, I, oh, man, if I got enough, now it's your money goes a longer way there. In a lot oh, of yeah. But it's vital. And, you know, you've had the luxury. Josh has had the luxury. He's an actor. I've had the luxury of traveling, traveling. And, and look, we don't, it doesn't even have to be, yeah, I wish everyone could travel out, out of the country. I wish. But growing up where we did, I didn't fly on an airplane until I went on a visit to a school. I didn't have money. We didn't have money to do that. I never saw an NBA game until I played in one. We, you know, most people don't don't travel outside of, you know, 50 miles from where they were born. So, you know, traveling and seeing what's actually out here, I'm sure for you. First time I came to New York, I'm like, what is this place? What? How do people live here? You were I mean, an they knew you were an obvious tourist as soon as you stepped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gave it away. <laughs> uh, all right, my mood. What's your favorite? What's your favorite book? Uh, favorite movie? Oh man, you can never ask me that because I don't have favorite. Mm. I love so much about life, man. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to choose. All right, give me, give me, give me three. Can you give me three? You know what? I, I'm partial to there's a movie about the Prophet Muhammad called The Message, man. You know, and I like like a lot of stuff based on the truth. Like okay. so the message, man, I love, I love Braveheart. <laughs> man, something about that movie, man, made me want to get up, man, and go fight every time I see it. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, movies like that, man. Uh, I'm trying right. to be across the board. Uh yeah, that's I have. To think. Uh, we'll take those. We'll take those. <laughs> what about if you if you uh, could sit front row center to see uh, anyone play or speak or you know anything a play again front row center dead or alive? I want to go back, man. I'm 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 going off the Richter scale on this. You were like, man, you you really went deep. I want to go back and 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 see. So many things, but I want to go back and see, not even here or whatever. I want to go back and see, man, how Adam and Eve was created. I that's was big. Created. That's front row center. Yeah, yeah, front row center. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be interested to know. Um, and you can't pick favorites. I get it, but you talk about enlightenment and reading and all these things. What if a kid's turning eighteen right now and and wants to? You want to, here's a new perspective for you. You've grown up here. What book or two, sorry, that uh, you might give to them and, and tell them to read? I'm always, I'm always suggest the Holy Quran. I'm always suggest, okay. I don't care who it is. You know, outside of that, me personally, you already know, uh, they say, they say speak to the level of a person's intelligence. So I think also we got, in order for me, depends on the person I'm talking to. I mm -hmm. want to get to know like where they lean toward, like whether because mm -hmm. when you talk yeah. to them, whether their struggles are, what they like. Because I'd want to get something that that appeals to that first. Right, 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 right. And then you can build off that, as opposed to just something random they might not right. even interest in. Right, that's how right. I do it. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, man, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This is okay. amazing. Uh, please, you guys please. are great, man. Oh, you, you are. Like literally, y'all were the 
look, and I don't, and I don't say I don't use words lightly. And I know you, you getting ready to sign off, but man, y'all chemistry, how y'all feed off each other, the questions, the timing, man, this was this was the best. Oh, that's the greatest. Look, I have to say this then. Uh, I was intimidated coming into this by you. You know, you are, um, your perception's very serious. Uh, everyone knows your stances. Um, uh, even your demeanor on the court was pretty serious. You weren't a, you know, a smiley guy on the court. And then I had read in preparation that, like, especially like in Denver, you were out with the community, very approachable. People liked you, and it counteracted what people thought, you know, on the court in the community. And it has been such a pleasure. To, as soon as we got on here and you were smiling, I was like, he smiles. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so this has been so great. I hope so many people see this. They get to, to know to uh, you that, that they never thought existed. That's got to be the biggest misconception about you. Definitely. I, I, and I, I gotta say this. I had it written down. I'm not just making it up. That says sexiest. Sexiest, <laughs> sexiest game I'd ever seen was watching them play at, at LSU. It got sexier in the NBA. And as a person, absolutely sexy. Just just a beautiful, <laughs> worldly, uh, beautiful person. I can't thank you enough for doing this, my move. Man, thank y'all, man. I appreciate it. Much success always, man. Thank you, sir. All right. Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Josh, once again, between two turds. That's <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I just, I, I'm like, what have I done with my life? What have I, I, know, I, 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 I kept wanting to say, you know, he was speaking and he started talking about, you know, whatever city he was in and he'd meet with whoever to learn more. And all I could think about is there are several guys right now who are playing in the NBA who have podcasts right. and how valuable a young Chris Jackson slash Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, how valuable a, a, a perspective it would have been for him to be able to share his experiences, be able yeah. to share yeah. the whole yeah. wow. national anthem thing and the Tourette's thing and where he's coming from. Um, and it's, it's kind of tough to think about in that he couldn't do that, but it's beautiful that he wants to do it now. Yep. Absolutely. Just the intellectual curiosity he had his entire life and what, what reading <laughs> did for him. We are not exactly huge literacy advocates on the show. I don't no, know, if, you know, to, <laughs> and wow, what, what that did to unlock his mind. Um, yeah. I really did want to know what book he would have said, like, if you're, if he's turning, she, he's turning 18. Yeah. This, this book no. would be a good starter place, but he's smart too. There's not one book. It's dependent upon the person. You said, you said it though, the curiosity. And it reminds me of something our guy, John Calipari says, is that, you know, the, the things that normally separate, you know, good and great players are their curiosity on the, mm -hmm. the basketball court and their ability and willingness to improvise in the moment, be dribbling down and all of a sudden throw it three feet over the goal to a teammate you know can go get it. Some guys might not throw that pass because it might go out of bounds and they might come out of the game. 
you know, guys like Chris Jackson, Mahmoud don't care. You know, that mm -hmm. curiosity and in the moment he's just, and that he's that intellectually curious is, mm -hmm. is even more fascinating, right? What a great conversation. What a great dude. Yeah. We should just put out, we should just never talk. We yeah, should just let's have people on and have them talk for the whole hour. We'll do the start and we'll just like, and it'll come on and it'll be Red Chat and Joe. And we'll just. <laughs> and they let them talk. <laughs> yes. And the guest comes on and they talk and we go. Uh huh. And we just kind of sit there and nod yeah. and haw. Yeah. yeah. Right, and they go off and we go. That was him. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was great, right. man. That was All great. Right, buddy. I enjoyed it. Uh, let's do it again next week. One, two. I sure would. We'll be back again for the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lex Town, Josh Hopkins, powered by BasketballNews.com.